So this morning we are going to continue our um, sermon series on detox. And uh, this, is, this is Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew 5 through 7. And um, I think for me it's the, um, man, it's, it's the most important passage of scripture for you if you want to really follow Jesus because in about, I don't know, 20 minutes worth of reading time, you can, um, you can, I'm sorry, my, <laughs> I'm trying to talk this off on my screen just went blank. Okay, I'm good now. Um, in about 20 minutes of reading time, you can see the essence of everything that Jesus wants from you in life. So it makes it, makes it super uh, clear. And we're walking that through. We started a couple weeks ago with the introduction. It's called the Beatitudes, where Jesus essentially levels the playing field for everybody. Instead of um, a spiritual hierarchy, everybody's now blessed because everybody has access to God. He says, even if you're spiritually bankrupt, you're blessed because you have access to God. And so that's what he does with his introduction. And then he takes some time to announce who we are. What I love about that is, is I, I love that the greatest teacher uh, ever uh, started his sermon by reminding people their value. He said, you are salt and light, two very valuable commodities in the world. You have great value to the community and to the people around you. And, and remember that, uh, you know, you can put a whole big pile of manure on a gold plate, and that just makes it a very valuable pile of manure because that gold is still there. The baseline is still there. You can't take the gold away. In other words, Jesus said, you're salt and light, and if you will just live it out, you, you have tremendous value. Well, today, we get to the disclaimer, because before he launches into the very practical material, which we're going to start to look through next week, he gives a disclaimer, and this disclaimer is really important because it's going to tell us uh, why we're even listening to the sermon in the first place. It's going to tell us, uh, it's going to frame up what we should expect as we walk through this sermon. <clears throat> so uh, it, it becomes a very useful disclaimer to us, unlike the tons of ridiculous disclaimers that are out there everywhere. Like, you know, you, you're, you're in the, the plane flying and, and you get the, the peanuts and the, the, the bag says, um, you know, contains nuts. Warning, contains nuts. Um, just... Just disclaimers everywhere. I, I found a few that, that I enjoyed on 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 the web the other day. Uh, so we got you know, warning: machine does not know the difference between metal and flesh, nor does it care. Now, <clears throat> great disclaimer if you're not into the whole brevity thing, right? Like you could just say, uh, "Watch your hand" or whatever, but you know you get a detailed description. That uh, next, let's let's look at the next one. Remember what the valet who parked your car looks like because we do not have valet parking. <clears throat> you know, you drop the keys off with somebody for a nice dinner and only to learn that. Ah, okay, next. This one, I laughed out loud for a while at this one. I, like, <laughs> I guess what that means... Somebody must have actually turned off the road into the woods because they're 
ways told them to do it or something. Like, I wonder if you got behind that first line of green, if there'd just be these rust-out cars buried into, like, was that a problem? Was that like a real problem they had? All right, then next we got, this one's, this one's great. If your children bleed on the arrows, you will have to buy them. Like, that's an interesting angle to write a disclaimer. Like, it's not, hey, be careful you, your kids don't impale themselves with arrows. It's, hey, if your kid stabs himself in the neck or gets shot with an arrow, you're going to have to pay the 78 cents for these wooden arrows. And then one more, um, attention, please make sure the elevator is there. I love that that's an 8 by 10 printed sign. Like, that's the kind of thing that I, if, if the pipes are froze, rush to put on the bathroom on a Sunday morning. Uh, or may, maybe that's like a, you know, please use other door kind of sign. Not a, hey, if you don't notice this sign, you're going to fall 80 feet to your death. Like, if you're concerned that the elevator might not be there, you may want to, like, put the caution tape up and just not use the elevator as a business until you can not need a sign that says, hey, make sure that when you step into the elevator that, you know, you're not just going to fall 80 feet down shaft. Just some thoughts. There's just a few disclaimers that I have run across and, you know, was in a disclaimery kind of mood, so I thought I would share those with you. Uh, fortunately, uh, Jesus' uh, disclaimer here today at the beginning of his sermon is very useful. It's very helpful. And uh, I think what we'll see is that, is that people who follow Jesus today, people who check Christian on the census box, I think they need to take another look at this disclaimer Jesus gives us. And so when we're sitting here at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, the essence of following Jesus, let's make sure that we understand the disclaimer and that we get it right. Because one of the things that Jesus is going to do with this disclaimer is he's going to take us from um, a, a typical way that a lot of people follow Christianity and move us into something better. Okay, He's going to help us make sure that the motives are right. We want to make sure that we get the motives right. When I was in college, uh, I, I, I was in a quad. Okay, So there was like, everybody knows what a quad is. There's a common living space, common bathroom. And then um, four rooms off of it with two. So there were, I lived with seven other guys. And we, had to, we were responsible to keep our own living space, like the shared space, and um, uh, the bathroom clean. And so we would ask the RA, okay, I mean, it was bad regularly. And the RA would come in and be like, guys, come on, man, you're killing me. I'm trying. And we're like, okay. What's the bare minimum we have to do to this place to not get demerits? It wasn't like we're asking ourselves, how can we bless the school? <clears throat> how can we get this thing ready for uh, you know, a, a Kentucky Christian University brochure? How can we best nurture a learning environment, a positive learning? It was, how can we not get demerits? Now, um, when I graduated um, and, and got married... My motives changed. I, I wanted to keep the place nice, not that we're like, our house is far from immaculate, but generally speaking, I want to keep the place nice because I don't want my family to live in the midst of filth. Um, 
so it comes from a from a, a different motivation. It's not just how can I not get in trouble with Kelly. It's how can I how can I help? How can I keep this place nice? In the same way, um, what Jesus is going to do is he's going to he's going to help us shift uh, the motive uh, to where to where now it's more like how can I. I, I want to love people. I want to do what I do out of love for people. I want to do what I do um, uh, to honor God and, and not just, I got to keep God off my back. Or I, 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 I'm, I'm trying to earn my way into heaven or earn my way out of hell. And I got to tell you, I can't believe how often I hear um, people out there say, I, I just hope that I, I'm that I'd live a good enough life <clears throat> to go to heaven someday. Even people who grow up in church just trying to earn their way. There are people at Polaris every now and then I'll hear say things like that. And I'm like, do you listen at all to anything that, that I've said? Don't tell me, you know, don't, none of you answer that. I, I just, I'm like, ah, people that have been here for years that'll still say things like, I'm trying to earn my way. There's a lot of people that I talk to um, who, who will flat out say, like, yeah, we go to church, we go to such and such church, we're such and such denomination, and it, you know, it just, it, we hate it. We go, and it sits, stand, kneel, it's repetition, it's ritual, and my kids hate it, it's a fight to get them there. I'm like, why do you go? Oh, my dad would just, he couldn't live with us changing churches. Like, dude, your dad's been dead for 10 years now. I, I, I think wherever he is, he's going to be okay with you finding something that you connect with. But I, I just, the, this is still a needed disclaimer because people are still trying to earn stuff, trying to, the, the approach to being in a growing relationship with Jesus is all wrong. Mindless, meaningless ritual versus actual relationship with God and helping and serving and loving people. So that's the essence of this disclaimer. Let's take a look. We're starting on page 969 of, of, the, of the Bibles below. I guess I should say that. Please grab a Bible in the, in the chair in front of you. I love it when people follow along so that everybody's doing it. And anybody new will, will feel the freedom to and, and take that with you if you don't have a Bible at home. And so, um, yeah, my preference is that everybody just read along in a real Bible. <clears throat> of course, you can download the Bible app and follow on your phone too. <clears throat> Page 969, that's Matthew 5. It's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, heaven and earth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. 
But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now that sounds kind of churchy. It's wordy. I'm going to walk through it. We're going to have like a 10-minute Bible study here just with the words so that you kind of understand the flow of what I think Jesus is saying there. So he's going to start off uh, with, with, with saying, uh, you know, I've come to fulfill, not to abolish. And this is generally over-applied. Um, this whole section, I think, is a little over-applied. Uh, it, it's very consistent with what the ancient rabbis would say, uh, kind of figures of speech in here or idioms that were common. People had a framework for dissecting these words that Jesus uses. So first of all, uh, we would tend to say, okay, I've come uh, to fulfill the law, not to abolish the law, and maybe think that that means uh, Jesus is talking about the purpose of his being here. But that's probably over-applying that. And, and just like today, if, if, if you know, there's a knock on the door, hi, can I help you? Yeah, I've come to fix the cable. Well, we know that they're not saying the purpose of my life here on earth is to fix your cable. They're just saying, I'm here to do this, okay? In the same way, in that day and time generally, that's just how you kind of announce what you were about to do. So when Jesus says, I've not come to abolish the law, I've come to fulfill the law, he's kind of saying, hey, I'm about to give a sermon here, and the purpose isn't to ruin things, it's to fulfill things. More on that in a minute. <clears throat> so... So that's number one. Let's talk about the law and the prophets. You're going to see this from time to time in the book of Matthew. And in the scriptures, the law and the prophets was what they used to say. It just meant Old Testament, or in their case, the Jewish scriptures, because there was no New Testament at the time that they... Um, so the Bible divided into two parts, Old Testament and New Testament. There's before Jesus and after Jesus. Old Testament before Jesus, that's the Jewish scriptures. The law was the first five books of the Bible. It was the commands of God. The prophets are essentially the, the books in the Old Testament that are named after Amish people. Those are the prophets. So when you see Ezekiel, when you see Daniel, that's the prophets. So there's the law and there's the prophets. And the prophets were more political in nature, talking about injustices. And the law were the commands. Now the commands were often, sometimes they're, they're laboriously specific. Like, really, you needed all those words to say that? But usually, they're very simple and lend themselves to a great de degree of interpretation. For instance, if I tell my boys, hey, don't be mean. Well, what does that mean? It means just don't be mean, or does it mean I have to be nice, or well, what, is it, what does it mean, don't be mean? And, and so uh, a lot of what the rabbis did in Jesus' day and time was to look back at the Old Testament and simply banter back and forth about how to interpret the simple commands of God. And those command, their, their interpretations of those commands were called their yoke. So when Jesus says, uh, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, well, they had a framework for that. It meant his sets of interpretations of the Old Testament were easy and they weren't burdensome. Okay, now, 
when the rabbis would get together, and, and again, this is what 90% of religious culture was in their day, was just rabbis giving their sets of how to be obedient to the Old Testament. And they would say, okay, I'm going to fulfill the law for you. And they'd give their sets of interpretations. That's what it meant to fulfill the law, was to say this is how you appropriately live out the commands of God. And then the other rabbi, and I really wish I could do like a you know, thick ancient Jewish accent, but I'm not even going to try it, okay? But the, but the other rabbi would say, you're abolishing the law. And it doesn't mean they were like mad at each other fighting. It's just that it was just a boisterous, over the top, you're abolishing the law. And they'd say, your mom abolishes the law. No, they would say, no, I'm not. I'm fulfilling the law. So they would go back and forth with abolish and fulfill. That's just what it meant to give proper interpretations to the Old Testament. So when Jesus says, don't think I've come to abolish the law, I've come to fulfill the law, what he's saying is, I am going to tell you how to properly live out the commands of God. And this fits perfect, because what is the Sermon on the Mount? Most of the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus gives an Old Testament command that everybody was familiar with, and then he gave an interpretation for it. So all he's doing in the first part of his disclaimer is saying, there's a lot of interpretations out there. A lot of them are very burdensome and over the top. I'm going to give you a straightforward way to follow God. That's all he's saying with that first part of the disclaimer. All right. Second part. I've been doing battle with this headset for the past, like, five weeks. And I'm going to, I'm going to start wearing a tie so that I can clip a lapel onto it. Enough of these hoodies. My wife is always saying dress casual, and I, I want to dress like nice, and she's always like, dress casual. Everybody likes the, the sleeveless hoodies, the short sleeve hoodies, and I'm like, no, I'm going to start wearing ties, and it's because of the lapel. I'm kidding. She's right out there, and, and she pretty much hates when I dress like this one. I suppose a button-down I could probably pull off a lapel. Anyway, I have, I have like one button-down. I usually wear it when people die. All right. Um, I don't even know where I am. Okay. Next part of the disclaimer. Verse 19. Therefore... Anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> what Jesus is going to say here is, what he says here is, I expect these teachings to be practiced. Actually do this stuff. Isn't that sad that you had... You got to say, but how many, how much of Christianity today is about believing the right stuff and going to church? You can be a great church member and not do any of the stuff that Jesus teaches. Jesus says, understand, I am not looking for fans. I am looking for followers. And this is why when, when you read the, the, if you read the gospel of Matthew or Mark or whatever, Anytime you see the phrase, great crowds of people follow Jesus, you can bet that he is going to make a horrible PR move intentionally. He, is, he does not like when a bunch of people follow him around. He wants people who are actually going to do 
the things that he... So he's not looking for crowds. He's looking for followers who will live out his teachings. And so when he sees the crowds, there are times where it seems like he's almost irritated because he knows that it represents a lot of people who are just hanging around to see a bunch of miracles. And he's not looking for people that just believe the right stuff. For people who go to church and do all the right things. He's looking for people who follow his teachings, the hard stuff, and actually love people, and actually serve, and actually make a difference in the world. And wouldn't the reputation of the church be very different if instead of Jesus fans who believe the right stuff, it was only people who actually followed the teachings of Jesus. Our reputation would be way different. But at the beginning, disclaimer, Jesus says, hey, if you're looking to follow me, understand that uh, I'm looking for real followers, not just a bunch of Jesus fans. Okay. Um, next part of that disclaimer. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Now, this is a scandalous statement. This is an awkward statement, okay? Because Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. They were the religious elite. They were the religious somebody. They were the guards of the faith. This would be every bit as awkward as Let's say I have a guest speaker. Adam's speaking next week. Let's say Adam gets up here. Okay, and I'm sitting in the front row. And, <clears throat> and Adam says, hey, guys, uh, I've got to hang out with Alex a little bit. Let me just tell you. Unless you follow Jesus better than Alex, you're nowhere close to the kingdom of God. Like, that'd be fairly awkward. I would feel like, oh my gosh, he just flat out said, like, I'm way off. I'm not. That's what Jesus does because the Pharisees... And they, they got eyes all over the place, and they're a part of that teaching. And Jesus calls them out in front of everybody. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you are not going to be a part of the kingdom of God. Now, when we look at the kingdom of God, what we're really saying is uh, Jesus' teachings lived out on earth. So it, he's not even necessarily saying heaven or hell, but he's saying I'm telling you how to actually follow God's way here and bring heaven to earth through your actions. And the Pharisees ain't doing that right now. But let's take a look at a snapshot of, of what the Pharisees were doing in Jesus' day that gets it wrong. Okay, so if you'll turn to page 1051, that's Luke 18. Luke 18, we're going to see where it says the Pharisee and the tax collector. And remember... Tax collectors in that day, uh, there was a whole lifestyle associated with them. Uh, they were considered far from God. They were involved in all kinds of, of um, just, just um, questionable behavior. I'm going to start at verse 9, Luke 18, verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. So a parable is a short story with the spiritual um, teaching. And, and we're talking about these are people who thought they had arrived spiritually and were better than other people. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, religious leader. The other a tax collector, spiritual nobody, spiritually bankrupt. 
The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. I'm awesome. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, beat his chest, said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's all he said. I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, here's the least you need to know about that parable. The Pharisee believed that he had earned rightness with God, righteousness, rightness with God, by the things that he did, coupled with the things that he didn't do. That's why he said, I've done this, I haven't done that, and I'm thankful. He thought that he could earn God's approval. That's the righteousness of the Pharisee, doing things to earn approval with God. Trying to get right with God by what we do. It's like trying to not get spiritual demerits. I'm doing this in order to be right with God. Big difference. Then I'm right with God. I'm going to do things now to love people. So the righteousness of the Pharisee has to do with trying to earn things. So disclaimer number one, we better plan to follow Jesus. Disclaimer number two, the motive is to love and not to earn anything. <clears throat> so what? What does this matter in our real life today? What does this have to do with anything? Why are we talking about this? Well, first, if any of you are trying to be good enough to go to heaven, and this creeps in, Conversely, if anybody feels like you're not good enough and can't make it and might as well not bother. Okay, if any of you are trying to earn anything with God, you can stop. That was done for you. Period. You are wasting your time trying to earn God's approval. You're wasting your time. Here's what Colossians 1 says. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus. And through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things. He did the work. Whether things on earth or things in heaven. How did he do it? By making peace through Jesus' blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated. He walks, walks this out. like It's very clear. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now God has reconciled you. By Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. He's saying, yeah, there's distance between us and God. Of course there's distance between us and God. But God reconciled you. God did the work. He did it through Jesus paying your death penalty on the cross and through faith. We now have that reconciliation. And then he goes to talk about extent. Like, like 
you might as well not keep trying to earn something. It's done, he says, without blemish, free from accusation, holy in his sight. You're not going to get better than that. Like God set out to do it, and he did it to a God level of perfection. You're not going to improve upon free from accusation. Holy, without blemish. You can't get better than that. And that's the work that Jesus did on the cross when he took your death penalty for you. So, no more trying to earn anything. No more trying to, you know, I, I, I got to do this in order to get on God's good side. That was all done for you. It is now, you have that through faith, which incidentally the Bible talks about saying yes to Jesus and, and uh, inner uh, faith in, in uh, what's called repentance, which is like, okay, I'm done living my own way. I am now going to live out this Jesus stuff. It's not when we get to the point where we're perfect at it, because that ain't going to happen. It's the turn of the heart. Okay, you know what? I'm in. I'm in. I'm going for the Jesus lifestyle. And then baptism. The Bible equates baptism with forgiveness of sins and the gift of God's Holy Spirit, which is like the guiding force that helps us. Faith, repentance, turn to live Jesus' way, baptism. Those are the things that the Bible says. That's how we say yes to Jesus. The work was done for us. Now, having been brought near to God, our motives change. And now we're not doing this stuff to gain anything. We're doing this stuff because it, it, it blesses the world, because it honors God, because that's how we love people. <clears throat> that's how we enjoy growing closer with Jesus. It comes from a very different place. All right, uh, band, you guys can come on up. I want to tell one last story and all this. This is my favorite <coughs> This is my, my favorite parenting story when it comes to like just, just the spiritual connection that our kids teach us. When it comes to what we try to do to earn our, our rightness with God that so many people you know, go through the motions of faith just to try to stay on God's good side or to try to earn something or to avoid punishment from God or whatever. Okay, so when I have two boys, uh, I have a, a senior who's 18 and a freshman who just turned 15. Uh, but long ago, um, which really feels like it was yesterday, when, when my youngest, Elijah, was three, Elijah was always fascinated with balloons. He loved balloons, and we always kept a balloon handy uh, because it would entertain, Elijah would entertain himself for long periods of time. And then we would, we would cut a, a, a ribbon on the end of the balloon, about the size where Elijah could go drag a chair. He loved to drag his chair to get the stuff. We found him in all kinds of dangerous places because he would just drag his chair and get wherever, but he's made of rubber, so we were never concerned. Um, we would tie a ribbon on the end of the balloon, about the size where when the, when the balloon was on the ceiling and the ribbon would hang, uh, he could drag a chair and then stand on the chair and you know, just, just where he could just reach it, like we wanted to take a little while for him to have to go get the chair because then we just move the balloon and we'd know we'd, we'd be out of our hair for 10-15 minutes because we'd hear the chair and then he'd get on the chair and he'd you know get and, and at times he would just do it on his own he would just go move the balloon go get the chair move the chair it was a process okay entertain himself well uh, every now and then he would get um he would get adventurous he'd go out into our foyer which is two stories and he would let the balloon up and he'd stare and he wanted to 
balloons, like probably to him where the chandelier is there, and he just stare at it. Go drag his chair over and stand on his chair. And that's still you know, 12 feet. Like, I don't care how much you stretch, kid, you're not going to get that 12-foot ribbon. Um, and, and it, for me, became the perfect picture of what we do when we're trying to earn. I mean, God is the God that, like, the, like the latest NASA estimation is like 2 trillion galaxies. 2 trillion galaxies. And we're trying to earn status, really? Like, we're so far from God in every direction with every standard that he's done the work for us. There's no way we're going to reach. But he's like, I I got this. I'm going to reconcile you to myself through Jesus. That's the picture of the ridiculousness of us trying to earn anything or being proud of anything in terms of our status with God. That's all been done. So we're going to look into this Jesus stuff over the next couple months. And we're going to approach it from this is how we this this is this is how we live out our faith. This is how we bless the world. This toxic world, this is how we detox the world around us. And when we do that, Jesus says we're bringing God's kingdom and he prays, "May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth here as it is in heaven." And, and he tells us, we need to pray the same. God bring your kingdom and we do that when we live these things out in the world around us. So right now I'm going to ask you to stand. And during this song, we're going to ask God to bring his kingdom. And we're going to go out there today. And we're going to remember that when we live out the teachings of Jesus and love people, we are bringing his kingdom to this earth.